Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic and risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and their intellectual property. Brady, we're sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, Please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Our topic today is, should I incorporate virtual reality into my corporate training? According to Statista, global shipments of virtual and augmented reality headset shipments in 2020 amounted to 5.5 million units and was projected to reach 11 million in 2021 and 43.5 million by 2025. Uh, as it turns out, I actually own two of those things, one that's connected to my PlayStation 4 and another that is an Oculus Rift, um, which I've not, I only recently got that. I have not tried it out yet. And, uh, you know, I became really aware of, of of augmented reality when we had the Pokemon Go craze that you guys might remember. I remember I was on vacation up in Boston, actually. We, were, we had a, 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 a VRBO in, um, in the North End. And I didn't realize it was going on. Then all of a sudden, you just saw people with these days looks are walking along the streets, looking at their phones because they're trying to find these these virtual Pokemon to battle. And it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. But I think for many people, that was probably their first exposure to augmented reality. And of course, I think the I think the one of the best examples of virtual reality. Of course, we're not there yet in terms of technology, but but Star Trek and the Next Generation introduced the holodeck which is basically a big virtual reality simulator and uh, like so many things in technology um, that we have today they they appear in some form of star trek first so it's kind of interesting to see how we're we're seeing that reach reach full uh, full circle and i became enamored of virtual reality in a training context when somebody came to one of my office hours years and years ago and they showed me a demo of a of a um of a vr platform that helps mechanics repair airplanes. And uh, as, as most of you can appreciate, a passenger jet is an incredibly complex piece of equipment. There's hundreds of miles of wire, heaven knows how many moving parts. And uh, it's amazing that, that the people who work on those aircraft, especially the engines, are able to keep things straight. And I saw this fascinating uh, demo of a platform where the, uh, there'd be augmented reality where um, you'd wear a headset, the technician would wear a headset, they'd see into the jet, and then for maintenance, it would, it would show them step-by-step step in real time what part they had to address, they had to remove, lubricate, replace, whatever it is that they had to do. And I saw that and I said, man, this has got to be the future of training. And so uh, I, I think it's a really neat topic. It's one that I've wanted to do for a while. Because I, I suspect our guests will tell us if this is true or not, but I suspect that given where we are from a from a work relationship and a work paradigm in the current economy here as we're in Q4 2021, I suspect that technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality are are taking on maybe a more important role more quickly than we might have imagined. So joining us today is Dave Beck. Dave is founder and managing partner of Foundry 45, an Atlanta-based company that helps brands train their teams and tell their stories through virtual and augmented reality. His company has built over 200 experiences for notable clients such as AT&T, Coca-Cola, 
IBM, and Delta. Before starting Foundry 45, Dave served as the chief operating officer at Equip Codes, a mobile SaaS and augmented reality company. Dave also serves on the boards for Georgia Tech, the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce, and the MAK Historic District. He earned his bachelor's degree in marketing from Wake Forest University and his MBA in technology commercialization from Georgia Tech. Foundry 45's team works with global brands, as I said, like Delta, UPS, IBM, and they also frequently partner with manufacturing companies and government entities. Dave, welcome to the program. Hey, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, you mentioned uh, you know going to grad school at Georgia Tech. I think that's actually where when you and I met way, way back in the mid-2000s. It might have been. Were, were you at the ti- in the Tiger program at that time? I was. I was uh, one, of, one of the first students that went through there. And uh, I'm still pretty actively involved with the group there as well. It's a, it's a really interesting program that combines PhD students and MBA students at tech with law students from Emory. And I know you've been a big part of that group for a while too. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been an adjunct or visiting instructor, or special instructor in that group for a while. And, and you're right. It's, it's, it's a fascinating program that <clears throat> has actually produced some really interesting companies. Um, uh, so, you know, they are, they are making an economic impact and not just an educational one. Um, yeah, they were actually kind enough to, uh, let me start my first company from the fourth floor of the management building way back in 2005. So, uh, yeah, I, I've got a lot, I owe them a lot. And I saw that company, I think, was it on Piedmont or Ponce de Leon, that decrepit single, <laughs> single floor building that could not have been more than 500 square feet. Um, and it looked like it looked like something that the big bad wolf tried to blow down and failed. Um, but the building itself must have been a hundred years old, right? You remember that building? Yeah, we were right next door to Eats on Ponce, yep. um, across basically across the street from uh, Ponce City Market. Um, yeah, that was a great place. Uh, I think it's actually a recording studio now. That makes sense. I know. I know. There's a lot of music that's moved into that area, and actually, I could see that being a very good recording studio spot. Yeah, it's a little bit. I mean, it's in a it's in a pretty busy area, but it's kind of off the beaten path. Well, and look, I, I think that the thing because the thing is made of solid brick too. I mean, you don't need that much soundproofing to make sure that you have a quiet spot too. So, I, you know, and the bones were great because they told us at one point it was actually a tortilla factory. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, that building was run down, and, and no disrespect to you or anybody else. I mean, you 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 may do with the resources you had, but that building is not going anywhere. I mean, you and I are gonna be long gone, and that building's still gonna be there. Yeah, well, you know, the the real estate there is probably worth a ridiculous amount of money right now, too. Yeah. I suppose if anything's gonna get rid of that building, it's gonna be a developer, right? I but think it's not going to be time. I think the Eats is the one that's keeping uh, developers out because I don't know if they'll ever move. Yeah, pro- probably not. Not willingly. I hope they don't move. Love that place. So, Dave, tell us, tell our audience, because some of our audience may not have really experienced this, even with my background, they may not have a good handle. What is what is virtual reality? So virtual reality is a technology where you put on a headset and you're basically transported to a new kind of completely digital world. Um, You mentioned the holodeck. I mean, it could be almost like a teleportation device uh, or a time machine. It could take you anywhere, any place. And yeah, the main thing that we use it for is training. You know, I, I think that's the killer application for VR today on the business side. And so, yeah, we do things like help, you know, UPS train their teams out of sort of packages or load, load trucks. And uh, you mentioned Delta. We help them train people that work on the runways, you know, challenging environments uh, to train in. And, you know, I, I think about virtual reality and you, you tell me this. I mean, one of my favorite games growing up was playing Microsoft Flight Simulator because my dad was a pilot. So I was kind of into that. And I. To me, I think that was actually sort of sort of the first widely commercially produced, I'll call it kind of Neanderthal virtual reality, right? It wasn't an immersive <laughs> environment, but it was it was a simulation of a flight environment that actually was even back in the, in the 90s was sufficiently um, detailed that you could actually use that as flight training time as you were able to as you prepared to kind of go solo. 
and um, you know, it's just fascinating to see where it's come, where it's come from there, uh, from that point now uh, into this 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 virtual reality now, where the, the the environments are just so detailed and they impact almost every sense as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I've actually had a chance to try the you know, real, the five or $10 million uh, flight sims at Delta. And, you know, the difference between doing that and doing uh, something in a VR headset, you know, there are huge pieces of equipment with all kinds of hydraulics underneath them, um, big screens around you. So it really does look like, I mean, the graphics might be a little bit uh, Microsoft uh, flight simulator from a few years back, but yep. uh, but it's pretty immersive. And the thing that there is that you get the actual feel and touch of everything that's in the cockpit. And, and that's pretty interesting. Uh, from a VR standpoint, you can get, you know, a lot of the value out of that, uh, you know, on a, on a thousand dollar headset as opposed to a $5 million SIM. But what you're not going to get is the same kind of, you know, tactile feel, at least not today. And, and that's where I'm kind of headed in a way, you know, I mean, virtual, virtual reality, I think, is on the modern consciousness because you don't have to have a $10 million dedicated flight simulator. But I would argue that, that, that those flight simulators, which have been around for 30 years, are effectively, again, sort of Neanderthal or Cro-Magnon virtual reality, right? They're designed to create a virtual environment so that when you're a pilot at 20,000 feet, right, you've already, if there's a crisis or whatever situation, you've already been in that same exact environment. So when the real thing happens, you know exactly what to do, right? Yeah, interestingly, uh, the military is actually leading the way on using virtual reality in flight sim because, I mean, they're not actually beholden to quite the same uh, regulations as the FAA, as the commercial airlines are through the FAA. Uh, that's not to say that, that they don't have really strong regulations. Right. It's just, but it's different, different. It's different. And they, they're able to be a little bit more agile with that. And what the main thing they're doing is I guess they, the issue they have is that it's twofold. One is that you can't get uh, actual, you know, pilots on real jets nearly enough. And two, the Sims are backed up as well. And, so what they're doing, they're using VR for is to just give reps and reps and reps and reps. You know, you can, you can have an entire room of people just sitting in a chair doing the same thing. And, you know, you're probably getting 80 or 90% of the benefit that you would out of the, you know, much, much, much more expensive SIM. Um, but you're getting, you're, you can use it a hundred times more. And so the hours, you know, rank, rack up very quickly. Yeah, I mean, for example, you know, if I'm if I'm gonna play um, if I'm gonna play Call of Duty with their zombie apocalypse scenario, right? Who has the time to get like a whole bunch of real zombies and bullets to shoot them over and over again? <laughs> it's so much easier and cheaper if you're doing it on a PS4 headset. I mean, it's funny you say that, but yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. You know, uh, it, the same thing kind of applies for things like uh, a lot of trading. Think about like a. Uh, hazard, uh, you know, emergency response preparedness. Uh, we did an experience for uh, the Centers for Disease Control a while back that was helping train first responders how they would deal with a crisis in a foreign country. You know, you've never dealt with an Ebola outbreak in the Sudan. How do you actually prepare somebody for doing that? And for a lot of the disaster preparedness stuff, they actually do, they really have real actors and they do a full reenactment and that's crazy expensive. It's not repeatable, you know? Uh, so being able to do that in a virtual environment is, is a great use case. You know, you just said something remind me at the end of this podcast as an introduction I need to make to you. <laughs> I think I, if <laughs> they're right, not using right. VR already, they may not. I think I may actually have a customer for you. Perfect. Um, so all right, the podcast is over. Let's talk business. <laughs> so now we're here, now you know people are hearing the term augmented reality, and you know I described sort of my first widespread encounter with Evoke Pokemon Go, and we're seeing more and more of it now. Um, can you define for our audience what is the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality? Where do they overlap? Do they work together? Are they separate or parallel things? What's the relationship between those two? Yeah, it, it gets complicated and it's it's funny. Uh, there's also the term XR, which is extended reality, which kind of covers everything. Uh, we actually have a uh, 
uh, I don't know, like a glossary or a, a you know alphabet soup blog post on our website. Uh, if anyone wants to really nerd out on you know what kind of uh, what what all the terms are, but the the biggest thing is augmented reality is augmenting your actual reality, right? So it's placing digital assets over top of the real world as opposed to in VR, you're completely immersed in a uh, you know like in a headset to be in a different place. Between you and me, I think it's really, it's it's not binary where it's one or the other. It's a spectrum from, you know, if you completely occlude your vision, that's VR. If you're not occluded at all, that and there's there's things out there, you know, that's AR. Uh, Pokemon Go is a great example. I mean, that's the thing. That, that was like the gateway drug for most people. Um, yep. We started working in AR back in, gosh, 2011, I think. And, and actually kind of went through a trough of disillusionment with it because there were all these, you know, just kind of cheesy marketing gimmicky things that came out there. And then all of a sudden when Pokemon Go came out, it was just boom. Part of it was because, you know, typically you're going to view augmented reality. Your example of Pokemon Go is you're looking at your phone. So you're actually really what you're doing is you're looking at the camera feed of your phone and seeing stuff superimposed there. But there's now uh, better uh, hardware that are, you know, the HoloLens or Magic Leap. People, HoloLens is from Microsoft. People may have heard of Magic Leap, but they're kind of goggles that actually allow you to see the real world, but superimpose things on top of it. For my money, those those technologies are years behind where VR is because VR essentially, uh, you know, if you think of a VR headset, it's a souped up phone, right? It's a souped up smartphone. And yep. so all of the all of the uh, screen, all the processor, all that stuff is actually very much just standing on the shoulders. The VR is standing on the shoulders of, of the whole mobile phone ecosystem. It's harder for augmented reality because if you want to make that seem real, you really need to sense depth. So if you, you, if you play Pokemon Go and you, if you're standing there in your, you know, in your house and you look at it and Pikachu is, well, not that you ever find Pikachu, but, but, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're in there and Charizard, yeah. call it a Charizard. Charizard is actually in the table, right. Or right. in the sofa or what it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't register to actually set it on top of it. Or so that's why it gets to be a really hard problem. And when it's not in the right place, you get that. Have you ever heard the term uncanny Valley? No, I haven't. So that's when I think about a movie that has bad special effects. Right. Okay. And, and it takes you out of the, you, you're, you're believing and you're believing, but then something weird happens or it glitches, uh, you know, or, or Pikachu is, you know, in the middle of the floor or something like actually under the floor, you know, under the floorboard and that it takes you out of it. So you don't want that uncanny Valley you because it totally kills the sense of immersion. So we've talked a little bit in a, in a, in a qualitative sense about the, the benefits of virtual reality training is there any data to support that it actually is more effective? It does enhance effectiveness of training? Yeah, I mean, that's actually one of the reasons why it's such a great use case for training is because it's a digital environment and therefore you can pretty much measure anything you do, right? <laughs> you can measure how long it took somebody. You can measure whether they did it correctly or not. And it's not like you can't measure those things, uh, you know, on an e-learning, uh, on a 2D screen or whatever, but can you measure if you're picking up a, uh, you know, you're doing a uh, chemistry experiment and you're not supposed to take, you know, compound A over top of compound B, you know, we can actually tell whether you did that or not. And there's a lot of research out there that says, you know, everything up to 80% more effective um, for things like retention. Partially retention is so much more uh, powerful because it really does feel like you're actually doing it. So it's it's basically it's experiential, right? So you're actually doing the thing you're learning about. And people say, you know, do you learn more from reading a book about something or do you learn more from, from actually doing it? And for most people, it's the latter. It's like Montessori school for grownups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. maybe that's what we need is like Montessori branded VR training. So what you said there, I think is really interesting. And, and I had never thought of it, but when you say it, it makes perfect sense. Is that because because VR is a digital experience, which means that everything can be measured and recorded if you want to? It's it it does lend itself to being a much more effective tool in terms of measuring performance and measuring the effectiveness of the training, right? And not just measuring the effectiveness, but identifying 
let's say you're in a 20 step process. I go back to the jet engine because this is this is the thing yeah. I have in my mind, right? Yeah, yeah. But and and the person does great except for step 16, right? With VR, it's much more obvious, I would imagine, because you can even play back the whole thing, right? It's much more obvious to the trainer that step 16 then requires special attention and focus to 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 get where you need to be from the entire training perspective. Yeah, I, that's interesting. I, I think you could actually think about it almost on three different levels, right? You could actually, yeah, you can record it. You can record any, and, and definitely a lot of people do that to be able to play it back for an instructor, or you can even have an instructor be involved in it, you know, kind of as the puppet master behind the scenes, controlling yep. it on an iPad or on a, on a laptop. But then Second, you could have uh, aggregate information where you don't have to have personally identifiable info, but you could say at an aggregate level, there's 20 steps. Everybody seems to be missing step 16. So that's the feedback that the, you know, the trainers need to know, okay, what's, what's missing here, right? You could drill down more and maybe find out, well, everybody's missing this one piece of it, or it's, it's not clear or whatever, right? Or you can AB test it and try two different 16s. But then if you want to get super granular, there's actually, uh, this is nerding out a little bit on training, but real quick, there's actually something called a learning management system, which yeah. is just like a content management system. <laughs> and that's where, you know, if you go to work for IBM, you know, they have the, Mike Blake signs in, they give you your laptop. And when you, when you, when you, you know, get online, it says, Hey, welcome, Mike, you know, take our uh, sexual harassment training or diversity inclusion training. Oh, and you're the airport. I should have said Delta. You're the, you're the plane mechanic, right? The first thing you're supposed to do is this. Well, you can actually have the VR training experiences live within that environment as well. So that anything you do gets put into that place because people don't, you know, nobody on an enterprise level wants to actually keep the information separate in another like they don't want a Foundry 45 system or a file cabinet in the corner or something that has the info on it. So I'm going to diverge because I, I think this is going in such a fascinating place, at least for me. It's all old hat to you, but I'm learning as we go along. This is becoming my LMS now. Um, <laughs> VR brings in data analytics now to training that probably was not available before, doesn't it? Yeah, there's all sorts of really cool stuff that you can do there. Um, I was mentioning it before, right, where you can actually a task. Oftentimes, if you want to measure how someone does on a task, you have to have an observer, right? They would just sit there and and and, and that's actually that's kind of twofold, right? You know, there's a lot of times it's just kind of tribal knowledge. And if if uh, Mike trains somebody versus Jim training somebody versus Sally training somebody, you know, it's all a little bit different. So the repeatability is there, but then also the repeatability on being able to tell whether they did it the way you wanted them to do it is also there as well. So, yeah, I mean, you can just do, it's really, there's all sorts of biometric stuff that's coming out now. I mean, there's, there's eye tracking to see where you look. There's, you can hook it up to a heart rate monitor. There's actually a bunch of uh, really interesting research that's been done about kind of the optimal state of learning where you don't want it to be too easy and you don't want it to be too hard. And if it keep, if you try and keep somebody kind of in that band, if it's getting too hard, you back off. If it's getting too easy, you make it a little harder. It's almost like an adaptive, you know, like an SAT or something that that uh, is adaptive. So, what are what are the limitations? Let me ask you ask this differently. What are the frontiers of VR <laughs> learning and training? Where are the boundaries now that are being pushed in that area? Um, I mean, you know, at the very highest level, every everyone's always working on better, smaller, cheaper, faster. Um, and the headsets have gone insane. I could talk more about that uh, in a minute if you'd like. But um, you know, the frontier is more on. Uh, like haptic feedback, you know, so body suits that actually you can feel the bullet hit you or they change uh, temperature or I don't know, basically anything you saw, if anyone saw or read uh, Ready Player One, um, you know, an Omnitrack treadmill that allows you to actually run in any direction. And there are ones of those and some of them work well. And some are, most of them are a little kludgy right now. Yeah. Um, but then maybe the the kind of furthest along, but it's still a little ways out for me, is uh, like haptic gloves. Because if the, the way you're first starting to ask it, I was thinking, you know, what, what's one of the limitations? Well, getting force feedback, 
right? Like trying to teach somebody, it's hard to teach somebody. If you're talking about that mechanic, it's hard to teach them how to actually feel. You, you can't feel the torque on the wrench. Right. Right. You can have a, a scale in the scene that shows, okay, you started at zero and now you're at 70 It stopped, but right. you, you're not going to muscle memory. Uh, another, we, we do some pretty cool, uh, <laughs> we get to train people how to drive trains. Um, we did some light rail training, uh, a bunch of stuff for a bunch of different lines out in uh, Portland recently. And yeah, I mean, they have a throttle. And we spent when we were first, you know, and it's it's a feedback. You can feel it. It's almost like you're shifting gears in the car or something, right? You can feel when you get to the next one, right? And we spent a ton of time going back and forth about how they really wanted a physical throttle as part of the experience. And we said, right. you know, we could do that, but that adds uh, additional cost up front just getting that to work. But more so, it's just like one more point of failure. It's one more like. These headsets now are super inexpensive. They come with, you know, you can buy a, you can spend a thousand dollars on a headset and do 20 different experiences, a hundred different experiences on that same headset. Whereas if you build a specialized thing with a throttle, you can only do that one thing. So in your experience, are there, are there industries that lend themselves better to VR training than others? Are there ones, there industries where there's a more natural fit? You know, I think, any anything that's procedural, like we like to say, when there's one right way to do things, you know, if 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 it's A B C D E F G, that's the most straightforward, and right. it's very easy for me to help somebody put together their ROI on that, because you can you can say this is exactly what you need to do, but it gets a little more interesting, maybe even on kind of the branching narrative stuff. Think about your choose your own adventure. Right. Um, you can do anything where if you make if you make decision A, B or C, it changes the way the experience ends up. That can get pretty complicated, but there's some pretty interesting. Uh, uh, there's a platform called Tailspin, for example, out there that's doing a lot of work in that space. That's really interesting. Um, but basically, you can set it up and you can you can do anything. So so softer skills type uh, opportunities have actually gotten more, they weren't as easy to do, or it was back to the uncanny Valley, right? There was still a little bit hard. It was a little bit hard to have that interaction more with a person than with a piece of equipment, but that's changed really fast. And uh, it just, every day it gets more, uh, more and more immersive. There's another one real quick called Vario, V-A-R-J-O that's out of uh, Europe that has a really high end one that super immersive. And Oh yeah. That's a Finnish company, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, they'll, they'll actually Swedish. They'll Swedish. actually um, like, they have it set up so you can do pass through from the, this, I'll try and explain this, you know, with on, on podcast, but imagine that you're in that digital environment, but you can actually see your hands that are in the digital environment because what it's really doing is taking a video of your hands and just superimposing them over the digital. So you can, if you're on the, you know, looking at the plane, you can actually touch the little dials in the plane and whatnot. It's, it's very cool. Um, so how, how broad are the offerings for VR training off the shelf? And, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, I, I think we're at the point now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, my sense that we're at the point now where buying the headset is the easiest part, right? That's sort of the easy entry point, but it doesn't do any good unless you have software to kind of run it with, right? So when we're discussing VR-based training programs, is there a wide range of off-the-shelf training that is available, or do a lot of companies have to budget in, in effect, having a custom training program written for them? Uh, it's a little of column A and a little of column B. Okay. Um, so for things that are actually pretty common, common actually and available in 2D video format, for example, like diversity and inclusion, um, you know, your company doesn't necessarily need a specialized one of those versus a different company, right? So those are the areas typically, a lot of things that are happening in, you know, uh, clean room manufacturing or, you know, that are have very sim like very similar uh, uh, kind of formats. Um, those are actually being productized a lot more now. 
for things like uh, the the Delta aircraft engine, you know, the question is, does is Delta's different enough, or is it that you need to, Boeing needs to be the one that's actually providing that? And it, in the market, it's interesting to see, you know, that whether the vendor or the actual uh, purchaser is the one who has the need today. Some of that's getting pulled through from the from the vendor to the purchaser, um, but a lot of times. I, oftentimes we don't even work with the uh, training uh, personnel at, at Fortune 500s. Oftentimes we work with the ops people because the ops people have a specific problem that's costing them money. And they can say, you know, if I spend X on uh, this virtual reality training thing, I'll save Y. And, you know, that's a net positive in six months. So um, I, I'm, I'm curious as to your view on the following. Yeah. I, I, in, in my view, my experience, I think the entry point for most people into virtual reality is some sort of entertainment function, some sort of, enter- yeah, some sort of entertainment activity. And in preparing for today's uh, conversation, that still seems to be the case. Seems like you know, more people are still using VR sets for some sort of entertainment process, or, I'm sorry, activity than they are for a work activity. Uh, but my question is this, is has has the pandemic either forced or motivated uh, a, a reckoning or a reconciliation of the value of VR and AR because because it's made sort of old school analog kinds of training sort of taken them off the table or at least sharply reduced their availability? Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I, you know, I think like a lot of industries, when the pandemic first hit. Uh, the kind of virtual reality training industry just kind of went on pause for a while. People that were already doing work and were already getting value out of it, uh, you know, it was easy to say, you know, keep going, right? And and when especially our supply chain, like we do a lot of work in supply chain and transportation. Um, transportation, especially on the you know passenger side, not the cargo side, took a huge hit. Right. So those people all just kind of went into hibernation for a little bit. But on the other hand, supply chain went bonkers. Right. I mean, <laughs> that was that was pretty busy. So so for it was it just kind of depended on the industry. Um, but I think what you're what you're what you're also probably getting to is, you know, did the pandemic change how people want to actually consume technology and training? And I'd say, yes, I, I think it just took people a little bit. I think everybody freaked out and said, how do I put my put my normal training on Zoom? <laughs> you know, yeah. that was kind of the first six months. Right. And then and then everybody said, oh, OK, well, wait a minute. One of the cool things that we do is we can actually bring the on the job training. Like, you don't have to be on the job to do on the job training. Right. We can bring yeah. the job to you. You don't have to be on the tarmac to learn yes. how to work on a plane. You yes. Yes. You don't have to be at Delta or United or JetBlue. You have to be, you just have to have a headset. So one of the challenges is getting people the headsets, getting the headsets on their face. Like, right. Because if it's a mobile app, if it's Pokemon Go, there's billions of smartphones out there. Right. So distribution isn't an issue. The biggest friction point for a lot of folks is content distribution because you can't just put it on an app store and say, download it. I mean, it's getting further that, but I don't think we're anywhere close to that today. So the companies have to manage it. And oftentimes that's going to involve either you're there in person doing it or they're shipping them to you, which is super easy now because the vast majority of all uh, VR that's taking place now is on these all-in-one mobile headsets like an Oculus Quest or a HTC Vive Fox 3 or Pico. And those headsets weigh, you know, pound, and take right. up, you know, a uh, six by 12 box or something. I mean, it's, it's nothing. Now we talked about the, the, the need to customize software potentially. What about the hardware part? I mean, you, you, you discussed a case study in, in, in training uh, train operators, for example, that you're know, trying to, trying to solve the problem of creating a realistic throttle assembly for that experience might've been prohibitively expensive and complicated. How often do you run into that? Um, do you find that most of the time you can just kind of use off-the-shelf hardware or should should companies that are considering VR training also brace themselves to the fact they may, they may need purpose-built hardware as well? 
So we actively work to convince our partners not to use specialized hardware just because they, in my opinion, they get a lot more value by having a wide breadth. However, there are certain use cases where it does make a lot of sense. Um, there's a, there's a company, um, that we know pretty well, uh, called Sirius Labs. I like their, uh, their, their name. Sirius Labs makes, uh, simulators. So, the, and, and a lot of what they do are for kind of like bucket trucks and or, uh, uh, Forklifts and the forklifts pretty pretty uh, straightforward, but for bucket truck, like that's actually useful for scissor lifts and bucket trucks and all sorts of different you know excavators, whatever. So they have this purpose built thing that you actually stand in, and it's got some hydraulics underneath it that move you around, and you have physical uh, you know levers. You know, I've used it, and it's super immersive. I feel like I could actually uh, you know. Go to and but that same thing that you would use on a construction site is actually used on the back of a plane. Um, they use them. You'll see one the next time you're at the airport. If you look out on the tarmac, a lot of times they're back, you know, uh, working on on the planes with them. So there are use cases for that. It's just we, my company, and and actually, typically, in, instead of there being a uh, the concern that you were bringing up, I think is that there's a huge cost associated with that, right? Right. Well, sure. um, they're actually offering hardware as a service. Right. So you have a subscription. You might have to pay a, you know, kind of a cover the cost of the hardware, but basically it's a it's a hardware as a service model. Pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's not surprising it's gone that way. We don't own anything anymore. We're all we're always renting it now. Let's rent everything, man. Um so how far along do you think virtual reality is? in terms of it being accepted as a serious business tool as opposed to a gaming technology? I think we're just scratching the surface right now. Right. I mean, I I don't want to get all uh, metaverse cheesy on you here. Uh, no, but, go, go metaverse. But it's interesting. Uh, you know, when, when Zuckerberg came out and said that Facebook's going to be a metaverse company and they're actually talking about changing names now and whatnot, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Um, I really do believe that there's a lot to that. Um, I actually have a, uh, you mentioned, you know, your, uh, your chart of the day on uh, LinkedIn, which, which I love uh, and, and always check out. Um, I do a, a vlog series every Tuesday at two on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, feel free to connect with me. I'm very promiscuous on there. Um but basically it's called Fabry 45s and it's 45 seconds ish of, you know, quick sound bites about, you know, new technology, virtual reality training, whatnot. And my most recent one that was yesterday was actually with Elizabeth Strickler, who is a, a brilliant pr- professor down at GSU. And she's kind of an expert on all things metaverse. And it's very interesting to hear what she has to say. And there's a few other interviews we have coming up with her as well. Um, so definitely encourage you to check that out. And, uh, and I, I'm a believer, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking the metaverse Kool-Aid. Um, in, in your experience, do, do, do people with a, with a background of having been video game players have a greater affinity or greater ability to kind of absorb VR? And the reason I say that is because I read somewhere that, uh, for example, in the um, in the U.S. military, they find that video gamers tend to become very good drone operators. Right? Makes sense. Like joystick, yeah. that kind of environment. So I'm curious if not that I'm trying to encourage people to let their kids become professional gamers to do VR, but I, I do kind. Of, I am kind of curious. Does that skill set or that affinity for being in let's call them let's call them light simulated environments, as a lot of games are now because they're so immersive. Does that does do people with that kind of background have an easier time transitioning into VR? I mean, anecdotally, I would say yes. I haven't actually seen any data around that. Um, maybe a slightly higher level is people that have an affinity for technology. You know, uh, there there's it's interesting um, because you know you have some folks that just don't like new things. Right. And, and I right. get it, you know, we're, we're very conservative. Uh, I don't mean that politically. I'm just saying in general, uh, you know, change is hard. Right. So yep. 
we that's why we have adoption curves well yeah and we often find that uh our the biggest challenge with with implementing a vr training program isn't creating the software or getting it set up it's change management Mm. you know it's getting people used to actually training in a different way and realizing that it's not scary it's actually fun it's i mean people like it so much sometimes that they i mean we literally have people uh the first time Delta took the experience, the first experience we built for them out of Atlanta, they went up to the, the uh, hub in, in Madison or the, the station in Madison. And the trainers just gave it to the people up in Madison to run. And they were, you know, they were just kind of blind to everyone else. And they were sitting in the in the break room at one point. And a bunch of people came in and were like, when are we going to do that VR game? When are we going to do that game? And they're like, no one has ever called training a game. No one's ever asked to do training. So, you know, I mean, I think that's just an interesting kind of side effect. And, you know, sort of to that point, I think, I think one of the areas of resistance to VR is to be blunt, I think a lot of people feel silly putting one on. I think they, you know, they, they, they look this, they look awkward, right? They're not quite at the point yet where they look like Terminator sunglasses. You got to wear sort of this helmet that looks like Luke Skywalker learning how to use a lightsaber, right? And it's 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 awkward, it's gawky. You know, you don't necessarily want to you don't necessarily want to have that be in your wedding photo. Um, are, are people starting to get over that, or is part of the service? Is part of what you do starting to condition people to realize, hey, this is a tool. You may look goofy, but you know, but but you kind of. I mean, how do you address that? You know, I think, uh, yeah, I mean that's 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 been an issue. Um, the I can't believe I'm giving Facebook props again here, but uh, they own Oculus Quest and. Um, they have spent so much money on marketing. They've driven the the all-in-one mobile headset market, which has been amazing because the other groups that are a lot easier to work with yeah. um, have actually had to keep up. And so it's it's really driven innovation. It's driven the prices down. Um, it's been a pretty exciting time actually for the last couple of years in that, on that front. And so I think people, you know, when you see a bunch of commercials about it, uh, you know, that helps. I typically, if I'm in a uh, corporate, you know, sales pitch or something, oftentimes you don't necessarily want to ask the senior most person in the room to put the headset on first because, you know, they don't want to go in and not be able to see other people and whether or not they're laughing at them or making fun of them or whatever. But, but if that person says they want to go first, you know, you're in a good place because they actually appreciate technology. Okay. And it's like a gateway. You know, you mentioned gaming. I mean, so many people, there's so many cool, fun things. Like, I don't know. There's something called Beat Saber, which is the pop, most popular game ever. And it's literally, I played it. It's a know, great workout. <laughs> you're holding lightsabers and you hit these, you know, shapes that come towards you to the beat of popular songs. Yep. And it is a great workout and it's super fun. And so more and more people are doing that and getting into it. And, and back to your point before, I mean, obviously, if you're a gamer, you're going to be more predisposed to it. As far as the, uh, you know, getting any sort of uh, motion sickness goes, it's really, I mean, it's very similar. The numbers are very similar. Like if you get motion sickness in a car, there's a good chance you're going to get motion sickness, you know, in a headset. Um, it's just if you have some sort of vertigo or a vestibular condition, then that that just might be a thing. But part of the reason why that was such a... Uh, uh, it was such a talking point early. There was a, there was a big disservice done to the VR movement a few years ago when people were put using smartphones and putting them in cardboard and letting people try and do uh, these really crappy roller coaster experiences. I mean, that stuff makes me nauseated, and I'm in it a lot. Yeah, and and yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask about that. And candidly. Uh, there are parts of video games that I play, particularly ones that have you like dropping off a cliff and stuff that they're, they're real enough, but my, you know, my, my body's expecting the movement, <laughs> but it's not moving. Right. And I, I have to actually have to close my eyes or I can't sort of continue off of that. I think part of that is just age, right? You get the thickening of the fluid in your inner ear and that that's, that's, well, you know, there's Part actually, too, but. Let, let me give a, a plug out if anybody does own a uh, quest at home or something. Um, there's a game called Richie's Plank Experience, 
And basically, I mean, there's a few other things to it, but literally the, 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 the game is you, you, you're in an elevator, you hit the top floor button. And when the doors open up, you're looking out over, you know, like 75th floor and there's a two by four or two by eight or whatever. Oh, uh, I couldn't handle that out from there. And you have to walk out. And you know what? We have people that will do it barefoot. So you can feel the carpet underneath your feet and you walk out there, walk out there, walk out there and then say, okay, step off and just will not do it. And it's like, you're, you're, you can hear me talking, you know, you're in the, you know, you're in the living room. You can feel the the carpet on your feet. They will not do it. I would probably do one of them. Candidly, I do, I do not do well. I do not do well with heights. If, uh, if a third party doesn't clean our gutter, the gutter doesn't, doesn't get clean. That's just all there is to it. You mentioned uh, Star Wars uh, earlier, Star Trek earlier. There's yeah. a Star Wars game that has two amazing pieces to it. One, you're standing face to face or looking up at Darth Vader. That's a pretty visceral reaction. And then another one is you're on a cliff and it's just. Uh, <laughs> well, this is, yeah, but that, yeah, I mean, there's some really you cool You might not want to do that one. Yeah, that one, that one, I'm not going to do. The one, the one I'm really into is uh, Star Trek Bridge Crew, where you're in a virtual Star Trek bridge simulator. That, that, that I really enjoy. And you can, you don't even have to be in a headset for that, right? You can have somebody in a headset, somebody on a computer, yeah. whatever. Yeah, you, you don't, but it's way better with the headset. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, in my, in my opinion, um, we're talking with Dave Beck of Foundry 45, and the topic is, should I incorporate virtual reality into my corporate training? Um, what's the obsolescence cycle for VR? And put another way, let's say somebody retains you to help them put in place a, a VR training system. How? What's the shelf life for that? Does that have to get upgraded or replaced every three years, five years, in your opinion? Can you even tell just because the, the state of the art's changing so quickly? Is it even a relevant question to ask? No, I mean, it's a great question. I think it's actually pretty similar to the, a mobile app, right? Uh, you know, your mobile app has to be updated on, or you, you get downloads automatically from uh, Apple or, or, you know, Google Play Store um, on the regular. Uh because anytime they make a change in their operating system or, or when there's a new phone or whatever, there's new capabilities that are always better. Um, you might want to update it to, for that. But the good news is for, for a VR experience, typically it's going to be built on a uh, software engine. Um, and the main one that we use is called Unity. It's a publicly traded company that just went public a year or two ago. Um, and we can, from building on that, we can deploy to any platform. And so if, you know, if, if, excuse me, HTC Vive comes out with a new platform next year, if you want to upgrade, you know, like you would upgrade to the latest, greatest iPhone or whatever, then you can do that. And the main thing that we would have to change potentially is if the controllers look different and have different buttons or whatever, then we would have to remap anything that was on those and or change out pictures of those controllers but that's pretty much it um i mean usually that's like a day or two worth of work for us okay so it is fairly scalable then from that perspective Sounds yeah like. and i mean and we've actually had uh, a ton of work we've done over the last uh couple of years has been porting from these tethered you know bigger heavier uh headsets that are they're tethered to computers to these all-in-ones and the all-in-ones don't have nearly as much processing capability, but it's not, you know, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's a pretty easy process to, that's a week or two probably to actually, if you decide that you want to use a different platform completely, like from tethered to untethered, but going from one untethered to another is really pretty simple. So um, I'm going to ask you to step into your future, your futurist hat here for a second, (laughs) like that guy they always have in the history channel which doesn't cover history anymore, but then that's, that's a separate discussion. UFOs, um, man. Yeah, I know. I know. Se- separate, separate podcast. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I'm curious, what do you think, how do you, how do you think VR technology is going to be different, better, more advanced in the next five to 10 years? I, you know, I really do think it's going to get better, smaller, cheaper, faster, and overall it'll be a lot more immersive. Um, you know, the headsets right now, like you said, they're pretty bulky. Um, they can get hot. 
uh, it, when you wear them for a long period of time, they get heavy. Um, so there's actually one that just came out that uh, is called a Vive Flow. And it's a much lighter, smaller. It's not as uh, it's more for for watching movies, uh, you know, things like that, that uh, in, in a virtual environment or a really light gaming or something. Um, and I think things like that are going to get a lot more uh, easy, cheap, whatever. And, and the thing that I'm really excited about that's I don't know, it's it's been five years out for the last 10 or 15 years. So I don't know if it's really five years out now or 10 or whatever, but is when. You know, Apple's about to put out their augmented reality glasses in 2023, I think. Um, and just the idea you mentioned when you have the Terminator glasses, right? That's going to be a game changer because especially if they can go from completely opaque to which would be more VR to, you know, somewhat translucent to being able to, to put cool stuff. I mean, you don't want to go too far uh, and, and have too much over it, whatever. There's going to be a happy medium for it. Maybe it'll be like a heads up display in a car or something. Right. Um, but there's just a lot of excitement that's happening on there. And some of that is just based on improvements in, in hardware chipsets and whatnot. Dave, we've covered a lot of, of ground today. We we could easily cover a lot more, but I know you got to get to a, uh, a an Atlanta United game. So, um, <laughs> vamos. In in case we have not, you know, either we haven't gone into as much depth in one particular question that a listener would like, or maybe we didn't cover something at all that they would have liked me to ask. Um, can somebody reach out to contact you for information about VR training? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, we're always excited to talk to people that are interested in this technology. Um, you can reach me at uh, foundry45.com. Um, Dave at foundry45.com is my email. Um, I am very active on LinkedIn. So please reach out to me, Dave Beck, Foundry45, LinkedIn. Um, every Tuesday, two o'clock, we do a uh, the the Foundry Forty Five's vlog, and then every Thursday at ten a.m. we do a Thursday things where we ask a question out there: Is such and such a thing? And uh, actually, I get some great uh, great response, and would love for people to join in with their thoughts as well. That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Dave Beck so much for sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 